Business is personal. If you are doing creative work, one of the things you need to understand is that your clients think what you do is magical. And one of the best things you can do for yourself as a creative freelancer is to assert yourself and say, you know what, I'm the expert. I've done this a number of times. I understand how it works. And I know what's going to help make sure that this project is successful. Do you want it delivered on time and on budget? Great. Then here are some tools that we need to build into our process to make sure that that happens. It's the Living Freelance Podcast with Randy Strew. Thanks for joining the Living Freelance Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Strew. Generally speaking, we freelancers go into the business to do work we enjoy and, you know, hopefully get paid for it. We didn't go into business for ourselves so we could negotiate with clients. Unfortunately, especially in the creative fields, this is exactly what we must know how to do in order to succeed. Whether it's negotiating with a contract or dispute or simply talk a client into letting us do our jobs, knowing how to build relationships with clients and communicate properly with them is vital for both making sure our needs are met as contractors and that theirs are met as our customers. Which brings me to our guest today. Attorney, writer, blogger, and negotiation coach Katie Lane has spent years helping creative freelancers protect their rights and be paid fairly for the work they do. I'm thrilled to have Katie on the show today to talk about it. That's coming up on Episode 4 of the Living Freelance Podcast, The Fine Art of Negotiation. The Living Freelance Podcast. Business is personal. Thanks for joining us on the Living Freelance Podcast. I'm Randy Strew, and uh, joining me today is Katie Lane, the well, the the, the person behind WorkMadeForHire.net. Uh, she is a consultant. You know, I'm just going to have her explain everything she does because there's a there's a truckload of stuff that you do, Katie. That there there are a couple of things. I, I am interested in a couple of things. Yeah. So uh, I usually say that I am an attorney and a negotiation coach, and I focus on working with creative professionals who are working for themselves. So most of the clients that I have and the people that I work with are um, artists or authors, musicians, game designers, designers, people who are doing. Uh, creative work for other people and need help navigating both the contractual side of it and intellectual property and understanding how those rights impact their work and then also can use help uh, in figuring out how to advocate for themselves, uh, particularly when they are dealing with a client who is a big business client and they know how things work and blah, blah, blah. Um, helping my clients feel empowered enough to say like, actually, you don't know how a website is built. I do. It is my job. Let me tell you what we need to be successful. So that's the kind of work I do. All right. You also do workshops on this. In fact, uh, I, I believe you've got a, a couple of workshops uh, coming up. I do. I've got a couple. If you're in Portland and coming for Design Week, I've got uh, a talk on. I've got like a talk on the 18th, and then workshops on the 19th and 20th for um, helping people write helpful statements of work. Uh, and then I'm also going to be at, in Boston at the beginning of May for How Design Live. I'll be speaking there on the first and doing a couple of like speed coaching things. So if people are in either of those places, uh, they can come see me. I'm going to be working on um, 
doing some more online courses. I did a couple webinars last year and really liked it, but you know, life got in the way. So I thought maybe I'd, I'd pick that back up. If folks are interested in that, all they have to do is uh, go to my site and sign up for the email list and I will let them know when that happens. All right, and that's uh, workmadeforhire.net. Correct. The .net is important. <laughs> yes. The, uh, the .com will not take you there. I learned that the hard way, so uh, <laughs> .net is where you want I to feel go. it really helps um, me stand out in the marketplace by using <laughs> the URL that nobody else uses. Uh, that's that's, that's my, my unique offering. Well, you know, I, I discovered in, in finding my own, uh, building my own websites that .com is usually like three times as expensive as everything else. Yeah. So. There was, somebody was squatting on .com for the longest time, and I was, uh, I was like, fine, okay, do that thing. I'm going to keep writing my blog, because my website, my, I've been writing my blog since 2009, um, so it's, I, was, I was uninterested in waiting until somebody wanted to sell me the URL. <laughs> I, I can understand that. It's funny to me that squatters are still a thing, but we'll 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 get we'll get into all that. Uh, exactly, this is different. If ever, yeah. Um, so, uh, Katie, as she mentioned, she does uh, uh, consulting, uh, talks about what what we're actually going to be talking about today, which is the fine art of negotiation. Yay! Uh, <laughs> this episode of Living Freelance. How did well? Let me let me start at the beginning. How did you get into doing that specific type of cons consultation? I got into that because when I was uh, a baby lawyer, when I was just starting out, I was really intimidated by negotiating. I wasn't very good at it. Um, it made me anxious, and I knew that that was a skill that I needed to develop if I was going to grow up to be a teenage lawyer and then an adult lawyer. Um, so I started looking at different uh, classes and ways of teaching negotiation and a lot of them were focused on power um, and power dynamics and getting the upper hand and that didn't really resonate with me. And then I discovered um, I discovered a, a approach to negotiation that's taught through the, the Harvard program on negotiation, um, and it's uh, Getting the Yes is one of the foundational books, if you're familiar with that, um, that teaches the type of negotiation that I found most helpful to learn that opened the doors to negotiation to me. And basically, it's an approach that understands, hey, if two people are negotiating, chances are they either have a shared problem that they want to fix or they're interested in working with each other and are trying to figure out how to get that done. So they have some basis of shared interest and the negotiation is a problem solving approach to figure out how to get them what they need. Um, and that made that made me really excited because I was like, oh, problems. I love problems. I love puzzles. I love figuring out how people work. I love figuring out what people are motivated by. I've got a background in theater. And so like thinking about a character's motivation and what's influencing them was very natural to me. And all of a sudden, negotiation was a super fun game. And I thought, I can help other people who are intimidated by negotiation and teach them these concepts. A lot of the times, the concepts are taught in terms of, you know, big business like mergers and acquisitions and buying out a partner, which doesn't really resonate with a lot of freelancers or creative professionals. No. So I have tried to translate those skills into things that, uh, and situations where a freelancer is more likely to, to find themselves. 
yeah. And you know, as as a coming into freelancing fairly recently, um, what, that's one of the things that I've kind of found for my own self as well as others that I've talked to, is that you know when you come into freelancing, you're you're selling a skill that you've developed over years of doing whatever else. One of those skills is usually not negotiation. It's true. I, I tell people, like, you probably didn't start your own business or uh, quit your day job so that you could negotiate all the time. Like, I get it. It's fun for me. It's not fun for you. And so one of my goals is helping people figure out how to um, be effective in negotiation so they can spend the least amount of time that they need to on it so that they can focus on the thing that they actually want to do and are good at doing and the reason why clients are seeking out their services. So that is that is always my goal. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's, I, I recently came into a situation uh, like that where I, I had to ask other professionals. Um, I had been working with a company and uh, I had started off not charging them very much because I was brand new. I didn't know any better. Um, and it was for a particular product that actually has done very well uh, since then. And so I thought, well, gosh, I mean, number one, the product is doing well, which is good for them. But number two, I'm not exactly new anymore. I have rates that I have to charge. Right. Um, you know, I'm part of a professional organization that tells me I have to charge certain rates at this right. point. Uh, so, you know, the question became, and I, and I kind of had to float it out there to my fellow uh, voice talents. Uh, look, I need to start charging this client of mine professional rates. How do I do that? <laughs> yeah, how do I how do I start that conversation that is, hey guys, turns out <laughs> I've been giving you a ridiculous deal for a long time and uh I can't do that any longer. That's that's a really hard conversation to have. What what kind of advice did you get? Um you know, a lot of the advice that I got was um <laughs> find an agent. <laughs> Good advice was actually the biggest piece of advice I got, um, which because of the way I did it, um, I, was using a, I was using an online platform. Sure. And you sort of have to self-negotiate <laughs> because of the nature of the beast on those. So it wasn't great advice for me at the time for that particular... Uh, <laughs> right. It's, uh, that helps, that helps um, you avoid those problems in the future. It's not necessarily helpful for addressing right. the problem that you are currently dealing with. Yeah. Um, the, probably the best piece of advice I got was, you know, look, you know what you're worth and stick to your guns. Yeah. I, I, and I find that that is one of the hardest things for um, freelancers and creative professionals to really grasp uh, is that what they do is valuable. It is it is valued and it is okay to charge for that. And I think, I mean, part of that is that there are a lot of... Th there are a lot of people within our, our, our culture who say, like, art is fun, creative stuff is fun. If you like it, that's great. You're playing. You're not really working. So, like, you should just be happy if anybody wants to give you a dollar. But at the same time, if people are seeking you out, it's because they can't do what you can do. They, they, they are unable to complete a project or achieve a particular goal because they don't have the skills that you have. And so by definition, your skills are valuable because they don't have access to them. And so you shouldn't feel bad when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I really need you to do a thing for me. And you say, 
of course, I would love to do that thing for you. Here is what I charge based on the fact that you have already expressed, you have already expressed uh, that my, my skills are valuable. And I think if you start to think about it in those terms, rather than, geez, I really hope somebody hires me, it is easier to, um, one, just be forthright about what your rates are, and two, not feel bad if somebody doesn't want to pay them. Because basically what they're saying is, I really like what you do, I find it really valuable, except for the part where I have to pay you money. And that is, that's a person who's going to be a bad client in other ways, right? Like, they're going to, they're, they're always going to want another revision, they're always going to expect uh, a little bit more, they're not going to understand the process. So they're not going to get back to you on time, you know, like, those are, it's an indication that there will be other things that you are missing out on <laughs> by uh, not uh, taking the job. Yeah, and that's um, I, I, I'd made that observation before, and somebody else, uh, other people I've, I know, have made the same observation, which is, uh, you know, kind of the harder you have to fight to get your rate, the more likely that these are going to be the kind of clients that you have to handhold the entire way. Um, these are Absolutely. the clients that project management fees are built for. Yes. Uh, yes. Absolutely. I was talking with um, I was talking with somebody the other day, and they had been sought out to do to to create something. Um, and, and this client was, you know, this client was telling them, "Well, we're talking to lots of people." They weren't. They were talking to maybe one other person. Uh, and it's very important, very big, 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 big. And so I was talking to the, I was talking to them about, you know, okay, what is your pitch going to be? What is your proposal going to be? And they were thinking about it in terms of the work that they would have to do, and the fact that they were excited about that work, and they were thinking about it from their perspective, essentially. And I really pushed them to say, hey why is the client approaching you? Oh, well, they're launching this really big project and it's really important to them and our work would be used to help get that into, um, uh, get the project into more stores in front of more people and encourage more purchases. And I was like, oh, so you're kind of creating like a commercial for them. And they were like, yeah, yeah, no, it'd be a really helpful commercial. And I was like, okay, how much do you think they would pay for a commercial if they were having to shoot this and buy the spots on television or buy the spots on radio? And all of a sudden they were like, oh my God, I'm not charging enough. Because they were looking at it finally from the client's perspective and seeing the value that the client saw. And, you know, they probably could have proposed something and charged a lower rate and it would have been fine. But there's always that risk that then you're indicating to the client like, Hey, I don't quite know what I'm doing. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to be like a hawk on me and, and control and micromanage everything. Um, but by looking at it this way, they are on a more even footing with the client. They're, they're saying, Oh, I see what you're doing. I see the value in what you're doing to you. I'm going to provide my services at a rate that is fair, but that is also in line with what it is that you are trying to achieve. And by providing it at that rate, one of the things I'm communicating to you is that I am a professional and I know what I'm doing. So you don't have to worry about working with me. Uh, this isn't my first rodeo. I'm experienced and you can trust me. That's a really good point too. Um, and it you know, it's, it's, a, it's a point that I, I think gets hovered over mm. more than actually made, which is that, you know, you get what you pay for. And clients do know this to some extent. Mm -hmm. 
that if they're paying a lower rate, they're not going to get the higher quality. Or at the very least, like you said, they're going to kind of make the assumption that, oh, maybe this person doesn't really know what they're doing. Yeah, I think that that, and I think you see that in, like when people are telling um, bad client stories, particularly where the, the job has been, they got the job via one of the online platforms that is focused on really cheap work. Um, a lot of times what you see is the client is super demanding and, and trying to dictate every last little detail. And I think I think part of that ties back to um, the price that they're paying. They're not assuming that they are getting uh, high professional services. They, the client also usually doesn't understand what it is that they're buying. I think that's, that's a point I try to make to people all the time is if you are doing creative work, one of the things you need to understand is that your clients think what you do is magical. They cannot do it. They don't know how to do it. It just happens, and they know that once it happens, it's good and it's helpful. Um, and part of this is, you know, tied into the fact that we're we're discouraged from creative activity after childhood, right? Like we're stop drawing, stop playing pretend, stop writing stories. Um, we sort of look down on some of that stuff, and, and the the result is people who don't pursue a creative endeavor later on in life um, and not even necessarily as a profession even as a hobby they forget how creativity works and how things happen and that there is work involved you know yes it is fun but there is work involved and so they don't really understand how you do what you do they don't understand the process, but they also don't want to look like they don't understand. So they will make assumptions and they will then manage the project based on those assumptions. And one of the best things you can do for yourself as a creative freelancer is to assert yourself and say, you know what, I'm the expert. I've done this a number of times. I understand how it works and I know what's going to help make sure that this project is successful. Do you want it delivered on time and on budget? Great, then here are some tools that we need to build into our process to make sure that that happens. And even if this is your first gig, your first job, you've not done this for a paying client yet, you have done the thing. You have drawn an illustration, you have built a website, you have, you have done voiceover work. Even if you ha this is your very first time with a paid client, you still understand your process better than the client does. And it is okay to assert yourself as, a, as an expert. In fact, it's necessary to, to assert yourself as an expert. If you don't, you'll end up dealing with all sorts of interesting requests and demands. Yeah, scope creep not being the uh, smallest. <laughs> oh man, no, whoa. It's people called scope creep, and I, I've heard stories of like minor scope creep, like oh, it was a week later. To holy crap, I had to build an entire new thing. You know, like they hired me for one one website, and it turns out I built an entire software platform. Um, and that comes from like not being clear in your contracts, but then also not enforcing boundaries. Right, right. Um, going back a little bit to what you said earlier, um, what I used to, uh, my first freelance job was actually as a videographer. Um, I did wedding videography and, and uh, some commercial videography and things like that. And I always used to tell people the worst client is the one who has a little bit of information. Yeah. 
the, yeah. the one who knows a little something about it yeah. is always the worst client, is the hands-down worst client. Yeah, no, the, and it's, it's knowing a little bit, right? It, it's right. different from actually knowing. Right. Like somebody or who understands how it works. Nothing. Yeah, somebody who understands how it works is more likely to get out of your way when you need them to get out of your way. They're more likely to be responsive when you need them to be responsive. Somebody who knows nothing is uh, willing to be uh, taught and open to your suggestions. But somebody who knows just enough is usually fairly arrogant about what they know and how that impacts things. Um, and so your job in those situations is not only providing the service that you're providing, but making sure that you are really clear in communicating and really firm in enforcing boundaries. And not being afraid to say something like, totally understand why that would apply in situation why, but right now what we're doing, that does not apply. These are the three reasons why. Um, and we need to keep moving forward. And not also not being afraid that if the client keeps misbehaving, to say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to find somebody else to fix to finish this project. Um, we're done. Because, and fire the client. Because right. if they're not responding to your boundaries, if they're not responding to you providing your expertise, it's, they're not, they're not going to suddenly start. Uh, it's going to be a long process. And chances are the, the money at the end of it is not going to feel <laughs> like the reward that you think it will. Right. Well, and if you're charging hourly for the work you put in, but then you're spending hours on the phone or on Skype or on whatever else yeah. having to explain yourself and rehash and defend your every choice, Yeah. you know, that hourly fee just keeps going lower and lower and lower. It does. It, and it, 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 all of a sudden, the rate that you, you felt really good about in the beginning is like, oh, man, this is not even anywhere close to the level of work that I'm doing. And I think in the other, if you're doing flat fee projects, which can be really beneficial, um, but I, I, I think they are better once you have um, some experience under your feet because then you, you know what to expect and you also have some experience in enforcing boundaries and saying, nope, we're not going to do that thing. We're going to do this thing. Um, but if you're doing a flat fee project and the client thinks that means they can call you at all hours, they, they can have you be involved in, you know, three meetings a week where it's a conference call and nobody can hear each other and they talk over each other. Um, that's a problem. And you really need to say, Hey, this is not this is not part of what was included. If you want to include it, that's fine. It's more money. <laughs> right, right. How well, how much that, do you want it? Right. Well, that's um, what I've found that works for me better because I, I do um, because of the type of work I do. I do mostly flat fee projects. Um, mm -hmm. You know, most people want you know two minutes of this or one minute of this or five minutes of this. So, okay, well that's going to be X amount of dollars. Right. But before I put the bid in, or actually as part of my bid, it's always here is a list of what you get for the amount of money that I'm bidding. Excellent. I love it. Do you also um, do you ever list what's not included in a in a pitch? I list it in a positive way. Okay. Um, for example, I uh, script revisions. Mm -hmm. If if I've already done the done the job and I've turned it in, they say, "Oh, we need to change a line." Mm -hmm. um, 
what I what I tell them, and I and I put it into the into the bid. Mm-hmm. I will do I will do up to two script revisions, minor script revisions, mm-hmm. after the edit is done. After those two minor script revisions, or if it's a major script revision, there will be more charges incurred. Do you ever uh, define for them what minor and major are? Do you give like examples? I do. Um, like if you need to change two words, three words, mm-hmm. you know, basically if I can re-record a sentence, yeah, that's a minor script revision. Yeah, and I find that that is a that is very helpful in your proposals to to help the client understand um, what you're saying is included and what is excluded. I work with a lot of illustrators who, you know, they're they're providing um, the client with drafts at at a number of different stages and there's some feedback that is totally appropriate and easy to incorporate at a beginning stage that is not appropriate and is very difficult to incorporate at a later stage and so i encourage them when they're when they're providing their proposals to clients to say okay at this stage these types of revisions are the appropriate revisions at this stage these types of revisions are the appropriate revisions and providing one or two examples so that the client is the client's prepared to be successful right like that's one of the if you think about it in terms of helping your client be successful uh, in the in the job that they're hiring you to do, helping them be successful with this project that's important to them, it is much easier to provide that information because you're doing it to be of service rather than saying. Sometimes people, when I say boundaries, they're like, "Oh, I don't like boundaries. Boundaries are bad and mean." Um, but when you think about it in terms of helping the other person, it is much easier to say, oh, no, 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 you don't want to do that now. Like, that's not going to be really helpful for you. You're going to overpay or it's going to be more expensive or whatever. You really want to do that at this stage. That's when it's going to be most efficient for you and going to be best for your project. And I think sometimes just changing that perspective on how you provide information can be um, can make it easier for you to do uh, and also be genuinely helpful for your client. Absolutely, and um, you know, it's 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 one of those. Uh, I, I find that you know, looking at boundaries, looking at things like that, I always try and turn it into a value add. Yeah. In other words, this is how I can add value to what you're doing without costing you any more money. Yep. You know. Absolutely, you are the expert. You understand. Uh, you understand how you do what you do, and you are in a better position to advise them on um, when edits are going to be appropriate and when they're not and how much it's going to cost. Because like, if you don't help them understand the difference between a major and a minor script edit, there's the possibility that you do all the work they then look at it and they're like, oh man, now we realize we didn't pay enough attention when we were writing it in the first place and we want to totally revise this one whole section. Um, <laughs> which it's minor though. <laughs> right, but, it, and then, but then because they don't understand the difference between minor and major, like maybe they're just changing a character's name, but they're changing it throughout the entire script um, and they want it said in a different way for each time it comes up. If you haven't provided them that information, they can't make 
good decisions during the editing process, right? Because maybe they look at it and they're like, oh, with the available budget we have, we don't have time for major revisions, but we could do a couple minor revisions. So how can we be surgical about what we're doing? How can we be really intelligent about what we're doing and improve the script while not digging ourselves deeper into a hole? Or they can look at it and decide, you know what? For the project, it really does make sense for us to invest this money. So lesson learned, we, we do a better job in the initial drafting process, but right now we need to pay for those revisions because it's, it's the right thing to do for the project. Right. That's, well, that's, you should never feel bad about helping a client do those things. Well, that's one of the reasons that I, and that's one of the reasons that I try and make that differentiation is that mm -hmm. um, I want them to know going in, you know, know that you be happy with your script before you send it to me. Totally. You know, just look at it again. <laughs> you know. Maybe read it out loud to yourself. <laughs> just, just make sure. Um, you know, and they're still like, I'll do them, and I'll get a, I'll get a call a week later. Oh, we just, you know, we had a meeting and we changed the price. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. You, know, you say it twice in the script. I'll just do it. <laughs> no big deal. You know. Yeah. Right. Um, versus, like you said, oh, we. Had a meeting, and um, yeah, we're totally going a totally different direction with everything. We want you to be, you know, more excited uh, than, than the original, <laughs> and um, you know, this entire block of text is now completely different. Yeah, <laughs> but we were hoping that you could just record the few words, and we'll cut them in, and it'll be fun. No, no, ah. Uh. That's the other thing is that when you're not clear with your clients, when you're not clear on boundaries or setting expectations, they can have some really weird ideas <laughs> of how to save money later on in the process. Because again, remember, like what you do is magic. They don't entirely understand it. And so they're doing their best to figure out, I need this change or to make this difference. What's a way that I can do it and not spend a ton of money? Oh, I know. I'll reinvent the wheel and propose this thing that does not work. Um, whereas if you're serving as the expert for them, you can say like, eh, that's, here's what's going to happen if we do it that way. You know, you're going to spend a lot of money and it's going to sound like crap. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, design because, um, yeah, uh, you work with a lot of designers. Um, and I, I had a conversation with somebody who, the clients came in after, kind of after the fact, and said, you know, basically we want X, X, Y, and Z completely changed. We want these colors to be different, and the outcome they were asking for was going to be just god awful. <laughs> and the, the the designer in question was like, look, I got to put my name on this thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything I do is a, is portfolio. Yeah. And uh, this, you know, this is going to be designed by you know X, Y, Z design. How do I tell them no? And, you know, it's it's funny because uh, when I was in radio, um, we had a couple of situations like that. And, of course, I was a morning show host. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, look, my brand is important to the station. Totally. What I, what I do is important to the station. And, you know, so, you know, having me say a script in my voice, easy peasy lemon squeezy, isn't going to cut it. Uh, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. It's not something I would ever say, and I'm going to cut it out of the script. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, um, but how how important is branding when you're when you're in those negotiations? I think. Um, are you asking how important is your branding? Um, 
and as how as you should take care of it. As far as defending that boundary. Oh, I think um, I think that boundary can be defended in a couple different ways. I think one of them is you can say like, hey, you have hired me to provide these creative services. And part of the reason you hired me is because I am well known for X, Y, and Z. This is not something I would ever do. And the reason I wouldn't do it is because, and explain, uh, explain your reasoning behind it because there is a reason just like you said like it's stupid it's not something i would ever say it goes against my brand and so it's what happens if we do it is that it's going to sound awkward and so this piece isn't going to be nearly as valuable to you as it would be if you let me just sound like myself um and so from a design perspective, if you're talking about changing something that's just going to look bad, I think you need to have a conversation with the client about why those choices don't work. Like a lot of times clients get uh, an idea of uh, a color palette that is just because they really like two colors, but they've not actually seen them next to each other or they've not seen them in the, in the circumstances where, um, they're most likely to be using this design. So one of the things that you can do is to say, you know what, here's why we don't do this in design. <laughs> and you don't have to give them, you know, the 101 course, but provide them with enough information to show that the choices that they're asking you to make not only get, go against your branding, but go against their goals for the project. Like sure. you said, you wanted this project to enable you to do X. If we make these changes, you will not be able to do X. <laughs> or you will be able to do X minus five. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that makes sense. How much of, how much of negotiation is, because it's, it's come up a couple of times now, how much of negotiation is really about educating your client? I think for freelancers and creative professionals in particular, it's, it's a huge portion of it. Um, and it's not being... Um, you know, it's not talking down to your client. It right. really is about ensuring that the client is prepared to um, take advantage and use your services well. Um, not take advantage of you, <laughs> but take advantage of your services and use them well. Um, and so there's going to be education involved. And sometimes you're going to work with somebody where there, there doesn't need to be a lot of education, right? Like sometimes right. Um, a lot of designers will do one-off work for an agency. And so the agency is, has the larger client. The agency is really just getting you to do the, the physical work, the labor necessary to get the piece done. In which case, you don't have to go into as much detail. They're responsible for the client relationship, but you're responsible for your relationship with that agency and being really clear with them about, yes, I can get it around, turn it around to you this quickly, or no, I cannot. Um, so I think that there is education involved. It just depends on whether or not you're educating them about what it is you do or what it is you are able to do in that particular project. And then not apologizing if what you can do is not what they need. That makes sense. Um, or at least under that budget. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yep, right? Like yep, they, can, but. They're adults. They can make decisions. You don't have to feel bad for them. Like <laughs> it, it's not your responsibility to make decisions or to make their decisions work. Right? Like, right. And I think, I think one of the many things that's hard as a freelancer is, you know, you are hustling for work. And so there's this feeling that if you say no to things 
to too many things, you'll get yourself into a hole where you don't have enough work. I think we don't, there are listicles about it and there, you know, the brief article about it online, but there's not enough discussion of what happens when you say yes to everything Um, and what kind of work your queue ends up getting filled with because it tends not to be the work that is lucrative because you are spending so much time dealing with client requests and demands and um, project managing and doing stuff that you are not being compensated for. Right. Um, So, you know, it's it's sort of, uh, um, I can't think of the word, Uh, but it kind of goes against uh, a lot of, you know, traditional business teaching, uh, particularly, you know, traditional art of the deal style uh, B2B corporate teaching uh, to say no. Yeah. I, 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 but I have seen no work so well in so many situations because you have to understand where what the ramifications of no potentially are, right? So no potentially means that um, you lose the deal. This is not something that works out. Okay. Would you want to do the deal if you had to do the thing that you just said no to? If the answer is no, you haven't lost anything. What you've lost is the opportunity to be frustrated or the opportunity to be underpaid or the opportunity to be um, taken advantage of. So one potential of no is that this doesn't happen. You lose the opportunity, but it was a crap opportunity to begin with. So no harm, no foul. Another possibility of no is the other person understands what your boundary is, thinks about what they can do, and comes back to you with a different solution. I've seen people say, no, sorry, it's not going to work out. Here are my recommendations for going forward. Best of luck. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the client that said that they couldn't possibly pay more and the budget was stretched thin and all of a sudden they can do those things because they found where your boundary is and they realized that it was closer um, than where they were able to go. So they could they could actually do more if they knew for certain that this was a hard stop for you. Um, so I've seen people get jobs. I've seen people get, you know, the rate that they were asking for. I've seen no work really effectively. In fact, um, one of my favorite negotiation books is by uh, William Urey, who is one of the co-authors of Getting to Yes. Um, And his book is called The Power of a Positive No. And it talks about why no can be so important and how to say no effectively. So that if if you're somebody who has a hard time saying no, I would highly recommend, like, go out to your library, grab that book, or get it off Amazon, whatever you like. and uh, and and read it and really consider how you can have a stronger connection to basically standing up for yourself and saying nope that's not something I can do. Yeah, you know, the, the one the one positive when I uh, when I sort of fell into freelancing, um, I've been a parent of four for uh, about a decade now. So, so you had experience. Oh yeah, I'm I'm all kinds of experienced in no. <laughs> <laughs> it's parenting is a wonderful preparation for freelancing. <laughs> I actually was. Uh, I was. Um, 
one of one of my favorite lessons in freelance negotiation was actually when I was babysitting for a, a nephew, and um, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife, was there helping me because children tend to run all over me. Uh, and it came time for bed, and every time I had babysat Lou, uh, and it had been time for bed, there had just been tantrums and yelling and screaming, and it was because what I did was ask, hey, Lou, do you want to go to bed? Well, no, he never wanted to go to bed. Going to bed is awful. Going to bed sucks. Uh, and so what Dylan did that was different was she said, hey, Lou, it's time for bed. Would you like to brush your teeth or read a book first? Ah. And so he got to pick one or the other. We were, she was, she going to bed was the uh, the understood end game, right? Like that was what was going to happen. That was not was up happen. for negotiation, right? But she was giving him choice within a narrow window that we were moving towards the end goal. That was never going to change. But he had enough choice and autonomy that he felt like, oh, okay, well, I guess I, I want to brush my teeth first. So he brushed his teeth and she said, great. Do you want to read two books or three? And again, it was, you know, going to the same place of going to bed, but giving enough choice. And um, one, I was blown away because that had never happened to me when I was babysitting with him. I had never even thought of approaching it that way. But two, I, I realized, oh, this is what we do with clients sometimes is we tell them, like, instead of saying... <laughs> Would you like this thing or would you like this end result? What we do is we say, hey, this is going to happen. How would you like to get there? Would you like to take this path or that path? And and I um, I actually, that is one of the, 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 the management techniques and negotiation techniques I now use. And I use that example because I think it is so uh, visceral. Everybody has, has had or not everybody, but most people have had a screaming three-year-old uh, who did not want to go to bed, and they have had a client that felt like a screaming three-year-old who did not want to go to bed. <laughs> you're sort of appealing to that, you know, when you're dealing with a client, you're sort of appealing to that desire to be in charge. Sure, yeah. Yeah, no, let them think that they're wonderful. They're like, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, no, totally, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with... Um, empowering them. I don't feel like you're, you're, again, you're not talking down to them. Um, you're not belittling them. You're just saying like, okay, here's, here's your space where you, where it makes sense for you to make decisions. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the, um, I, I, I love websites like uh, clientsfromhell.com and all that. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I've noticed that I've had to try and stay away from in, in building my career is this idea that there's an us versus them with clients. Yeah. And you know, I, I feel like, and, and I think you could speak to this, I feel like I have more power on the negotiation table by understanding that we're in this together. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I think if you treat it as a battle, um, you're, you're bartering more than you're negotiating. And for me, um, there's a place for bartering, but that place is usually over a thing, right, an, an object. Because bartering is you throw out a number, I throw out a number. You throw out a number, I throw out a number. And we eventually, like, get down to a place where neither one of us is perfectly happy. Um, but we're okay about saying, sure, fine, let's do it. Whereas I see nego negotiating as um, 
as problem solving. It's figuring out, okay, what is it that you're interested in? What is it that you want? And based on what I know, what can I give you that fulfills those interests without giving you something that is going to harm me? How do I make sure that my interests are fulfilled and your interests are fulfilled? And sometimes there's an answer to that, and sometimes there is not. And I think one of the... One of the most relaxing things that I ever learned about negotiating is that when there isn't a solution, it's okay to walk away. Like that's not a failed negotiation. That's a negotiation where you realized this was not the right situation. Right. The, the solution was simply to dissolve the relationship. Yeah. Still a solution. <laughs> yeah. It's a solution. It is a solved negotiation. It's just, you know, uh, it's... It's maybe not what you originally envisioned, but it's not necessarily bad. Right. And besides, the time you're not spending with that client is the time you have for other clients. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the thing about working for yourself is that you're doing all of the jobs, right? Like, so you're, you're doing the negotiating and the, the client management, but you're also doing your marketing and making sure that you're, you have more people in your pipeline and you're doing your upkeep. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, it's, it's like five different jobs, <laughs> this working for yourself thing. So it's not, um, you're not helping yourself if you are prolonging the amount of time that you, you invest in one particular area without getting the result that you need to be successful. It is not helpful for you to keep engaging in one area that is not beneficial um, because it's taking you away from all of those other areas that you, you're going to have to spend time in anyway. Right. B billable hours being a big one. Exactly. The, the one that makes the money happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. And uh, I just, I think we're, I think we're about out of time. Um, but this has been wonderful. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, being able to talk to you. Um, people who want to catch your webinars can find you again where? At workmadeforhire.net. Uh, that's also a great place to, I've got a blog there that's got years and years of different um, posts. So I would encourage people to, to rifle through the library and see if they can find a, a nugget or two that is helpful for them. Um, they can also follow me on Twitter. I am at underscore Katie, K-A-T-I-E underscore Lane, L-A-N-E. Um, that is to differentiate me from the romance writer Katie Lane. Uh, also, there was a porn star named Katie Lane. Anyway, uh, at underscore Katie underscore Lane on Twitter. And that's usually where I will announce like a, a new webinar or um, I've got some classes and handbooks that I, I sell now and again. So um, that's another great place to, to find out. All right. And we'll have some links for that in the show notes as well at uh, livingfreelancepodcast.com. So you can find all the information about Katie there if you didn't want to remember all the stuff that she <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to write it down right now. So many places to go. So many. So many. So many. Uh, and I do recommend going to the website. There are, there are a few websites that I sort of recommend as, you know, if you're going to do this, this freelance thing, if you're going to be living the freelance life, there are places you should go to just kind of keep up on what's going on, build your skills, get better at what you're doing. And totally. This is definitely one of them. So, well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. This was a lot of fun.
Links and more are available at the livingfreelancepodcast.com under today's show notes, and you can find us on Facebook at Living Freelance Podcast. Hey, don't forget to like the page, and if you find the podcast helpful, tell a friend. Feel free to contact us as well with questions, comments, or ideas about future episodes. Coming up in just two weeks, known by many as the six-figure freelancer, Danny Margolis joins us to talk about finding success as an online freelancer. That's May 28th on the Living Freelance Podcast. Thanks for joining us. The Living Freelance Podcast is hosted and produced by Randy Strew for Flame in the Dark Studios. Theme music is Checks for Free by Jason Shaw at Audionautics.com. The Living Freelance Podcast is copyright 2018 to Randy Strew for Flame in the Dark Studios.